Exodus chapter 33. And so I want to minister again this morning on this theme that evolved relating to the glory of God. And I think this will be the last one in relation to it. Actually, I, was, I thought last week's was. But um, kind of, you know, like I said, there's so many layers to this and there's so many aspects you can consider. But last week we looked at the glory of God in relationship to his holiness. And so we consider from Hebrews where it talks about our God is a consuming fire and how we him who speaks from heaven, how shall we escape if, if they didn't escape back then from him who spoke Mount Sinai, how much more now that we are being at Mount Zion, uh, if, we, if we don't obey, how shall we escape? And so we looked at the glory of God and we traced it through the Old Testament uh, but it brought into perspective the, um, the, the glory of God in relationship to the holiness of God. And so I wanna, wanna, what I want to consider this morning is, and we've addressed it already in, in certain aspects, but I want to consider it in the context of the text that we're going to read in a moment. And that, that is, uh, how can sinful man dwell in the presence of a holy God without incurring his wrath. How, I'll say that again. How can sinful man dwell in the presence of God, of a holy God, without incurring his wrath? Because we, we looked at and highlighted his wrath at various aspects last week. And so, we've already considered a number of things, but yet in light of this, the Bible has made provision for it. The, the, in our text, we do see it uh, revealed to us as a type and we know the gospel in itself being Christ in us, the hope of glory. God has made provision. God has solved that dilemma, praise the Lord. I want to see it as it's um, in the experience of Moses as he is before the Lord and talking with God and what happens here in our text because it teaches us some valuable lessons. It gives us some great insight about the God's desire, God's intent, God's purpose in Christ Jesus and also uh, in, uh, to be in him. Now the reality is, uh, us being sinful flesh, we cannot see God as he really is. To see him in all of his glory. You see, as long as we're dwelling in this tent, as long as we're in this flesh and blood, there is a limitation that is associated with beholding in its fullness, if you want to call it. We can, we can behold the glory of God as we do and as we will see. But to see him as he completely is uh, in, this, in this sinful body, in this tent, is, uh, as we'll see, there is a limitation. In First Timothy chapter 6, we find in verse 14, Paul writes to Timothy and he says that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potent, or potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honour and everlasting power. Amen. 
You see, we can't see God at this point of time as he is. We will praise the Lord. But at this moment of time, we are are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. But a time is coming, amen, when we shall see him as he is and we will experience, amen, the, the, the unapproachable light that the scripture says. God in his, all of his glory, hallelujah. And what a day it will be. But you see, in light of that, the noblest, highest, uh, sincerest desire of men is to see God. Can you say amen? I want to see God. I want to see God. Consider that for a moment. Think about it. And uh, as we here, as we understand to the degree of revelation of God to our experience of God to our, uh, uh, all that relates to our relationship to, Lord, to the Lord at this point of time, how great it is to think one day we're going to see him as he is. Glory, glory, glory. But you see, it's not wrong to say to God, as we will see in our text, because Moses expresses one of the highest desires of men when he says to the Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I mean, here's a man that has already spoken to God. He's seen the glory of God in the, uh, and there's, there's already been many facets to Moses' experience up until this point. But you see, Moses says, show me your glory. And, uh, and, and it's a question, amen, that we sit here. We can still ask it, amen. Because it, it reflects the deepest desire, it reflects love, it reflects passion uh, that we have for the Lord. And though we can't, amen, I want to. And so I think it is a, uh, um, a, a wonderful thing as we consider Moses and as it relates to ourselves. But what I want us to see and identify from this particular text this morning is that uh, there is a lesson, there is a biblical truth that's being, uh, a seed that is being planted that relates to that which is Christ Jesus. And it's a phrase in the Bible that we call in Christ. Okay? Keep thought as we progress. But we are in Christ. And so when we talk about the glory of God, we, we will, uh, we, the degree in which we will experience and understand it has to relate to this New Testament reality of us being in Christ. So let's read from Exodus chapter 33. We'll start from verse 12. And we'll read down. The Bible says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom... And with me, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your, your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, or God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? 
So we shall be separate, you, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Now, we pick up the story here where Moses is being instructed by God to continue to move forward with the children of Israel. After the experiences of Sinai and all that has transpired, which we've touched upon, and so um, Moses is, uh, is, is considering uh, the task that is before him. And he is, to some degree, he's overwhelmed. And to some degree, he realizes that the enormity of the task and the reality of the circumstances by which he has already endured and the ordeal that he's already been through with the children of Israel and the mammoth task that it is. And he says, uh, and God's saying to him, Now I want you to get up and go. Moses, no doubt, is thinking, look, can't we just stay here? <laughs> we'll just relax, we can chill here, we can make our home here. But in light of the fact that God is, is instructing him to go on, he says, Lord, if I'm going to go, then I have, it must be that you come with us. You have to go with us. This is the, the request in verse 12, he says, uh, 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 Moses says, You say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know with whom you will send with me. Oh, who's going to come? Because it's too much for me. And so we know that Moses is, uh, behind that lies Moses' request for the fact is that God, you have to come with me. You have to be with me. And so if I have found grace in your sight, in which, in which I have, then let it be so, then I want you to know this. And look at verse 13. It says, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. Again, this is reflective of Moses' deepest desire in his relationship to the Lord. He is at stage, he's not only requesting that God go with him, but he's also requesting a greater knowledge and understanding and experience with God. He says, show me your ways, that I may know you. Doesn't that sound familiar? But yet we're finding it here in the words of Moses and reflective of the deepest desire and intent of his heart. Show me your ways. You see, the book, uh, and we know that this happened experience of Moses because in the book of Psalm 103, verse 7, the Bible says, He made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. You see, there is a distinction there. Israel saw his acts. They saw the mighty power. They observed, if you say, I want to say from a distance, the, those aspects that related to God. But to Moses, there was something much more intimate. If Moses, there was something much more at work. Uh, and the scripture says he made known his ways to Moses. Uh, and was it not a direct result of his request unto the Lord and his prayer at this point? In verse 14, God assures him and says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you. Then Moses says in verse 15, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. That's the reality. If you're not coming, then we're not going. Because you have to be with us. 
You see, Moses' words here and the desire of his heart, they represent and reflect, amen, really our own relationship to the Lord when we consider these things. As Christians and understanding our own relationship to God in the new covenant uh, and as we walk with the Lord in our pilgrimage, as life goes on and the experiences of life come before us, uh, the, uh, the desire becomes greater and deeper, doesn't it? Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, show me your ways. Lord, I need you with me. I need your presence with me every day, every step of the way. And in the same manner that God has assured Moses, we too, we have our own promises and assurances from Scripture. Praise the Lord that we can draw upon in faith and have trust and confidence in God. Jesus said, uh, and the scripture declares uh, in Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. My presence will go with you. And uh, and, uh, my presence will be with you until the end of the age. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll give you another, the Holy Spirit, amen, to dwell God, uh, Jesus Christ himself, I will be in you. Try and work all that out. But these are the truths. The presence of God is with us. Amen. And we too, uh, in, a, in a greater degree, amen, in the new covenant, have such an intimacy and relationship to God. So we, we too, we want the presence of God. We too, we need that reassurance. We too, we need that experience that God is with us. My presence will be with you. James shared at the prayer meeting just the other day how the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your, your hearts and your minds. And that's a, that's a result of the presence of God guarding us. It's a military word, protecting us. Amen. We can find security and comfort and confidence in God. But you see... Moses wants more and he makes his request known to God. And in verse 18, in the most sincerest, humblest way that he knows how to put it, Moses, in light of the fact that God has reassured him, yes, my presence will go with you, I'll give you rest, I'll be there. But you see, Moses wants more. And he makes a request in verse 18 where he says and he asks God, And he said, please show me your glory. About that quest, you know, it's kind of tentative. (laughs) Like as he's he's asking God, who are you going to send with me? Okay, I'm coming, he's there. So he's he's establishing these facts. But then he goes a step further and he says, please show me your glory. And this is the deepest desire that can reside in the heart of men. And really when you think about I think that when God sees that, uh, because when, as we considered and as we have looked at, God's desire is to dwell with man, to put his glory in us. That's his highest desire. And so when he sees that our desire is, highest desire is such, and so when Moses says, please show me your glory, I'm glo- I'm, I have no doubt God is responsive to that. But he's limited, as, the, as is the fact, as we will identify. But God, he's saying, reveal yourself to me. Show me your glory. Let me see you in all your glory. And so God responds to him in verse 19. And then it says, then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you 
and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God is saying that based on the grace of God, based on the compassion that I have, so there's the the undeserved favour and the compassion and love that when God hears those words of Moses, his heart is moved. That's what compassion is about. And so he can't can't, uh, just... uh, uh, put aside the request of Moses. He's moved by his grace towards men and by his compassion towards men. And so when Moses makes this, uh, pl- this request, please show me your glory, God is only too willing to respond on that premise uh, and to the degree, as we'll see, in which he is able to do so. Because God's response goes a little bit further because there's a condition in verse 20 where God says to him, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Think about that. There is a limitation. This is what we talked about before in Timothy. No one can approach him. He's unapproachable life. No, No man can see him. Because as long as we're in this flesh, as long as we're in this body contaminated by sin that is fallen in its nature, then it is such that we cannot be exposed uh, in that fullness. And God says to Moses, you cannot see my face and live. No man can see me in my fullness and survive. They will be consumed because of my holiness, of my glory, and and no imperfection can stand in the presence of God. You see, the Bible in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, this is the motivation behind holiness. It's a likeness to God. It's a desire to want to please God. It's a desire to want to uh, uh, walk with God. It is born of a sincere love and desire for God, not some rule and regulation. Okay? And so that's why he who has this hope purifies himself and takes steps to ensure that they are separated from sin and separated from that which is unholy. But it says clearly here that we, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but when he is, we shall see him as he is. And what a glorious day that will be, church, to see him as he is, to see the face of God in the glory of Jesus Christ in its fullness. And surely this should motivate us unto holiness. That's what the scripture is saying. I can't wait. We sang about it today. Uh, Until death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? You see, I mean, this is why I get excited. We were singing that song and I shouted hallelujah and... uh, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> and um, sorry, oh, beauty. 
she uh, nearly jumped out of her skin. But then she was looked back and said, I'm excited like you, brother, Pastor Gary. Because you know what? What a day it will be. You can't but not after the week of sitting in the office, mulling around and doing nothing from day to day, going about your chores and doing the mundane things of life and come into the house of God and sing to Jesus and worship God and think about that day and not get excited. I don't care how bad your week's been. Actually gives you even more reason to rejoice in the, in the house of God. You see, if you, read bet- if you read between the lines of what James is saying, he's saying, you know, I've had a terrible week. <laughs> I, I'm sitting at work and I'm just like, this is miserable. Is that fair enough to say, James? <laughs> he's looking at the clouds and he's dreaming. But you know what? That's all right. At least he's dreaming about that, Amen. And so... Bible talks about death being swallowed up in victory until mortality puts on immortality, until this tent is put off. You see, because as long as we're in this body, there is a limitation. We are limited. But the Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the, inc- the corruptible shall put on incorruption and we shall all be changed and we will put on a new body, a glorious body. And in that body, we will be able to see him as he is. Praise the Lord. Well, I think we're drifting too far to heaven. Let's get back to earth here. And look at verse 21. So God says in verse 20, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Verse 21, and the Lord said, here is a place by me that I will put you, uh, sorry, verse uh, verse 21, my apologies. And the Lord said, here is a, a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be when my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You see, there is something here that's beginning to transpire. And there's something here that speaks to us as Christians. And I'm sure as I've read it, there's already those that already know and are making the connection as we speak. But you see, maybe there are those that are not don't know, so may the Lord open your eyes. But you see, there's a wonderful truth here, whether we know or don't know, we can always, amen, identify with and just refresh ourselves in the glory of God. Because when we talk about the rock, it says here, it's interesting because God says to uh, Moses uh, in verse 21, you shall stand on the rock. And then he says uh, in the next verse, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And so we understand in Scripture that the rock is representative of God. In the Old Testament, there's numerous and numerous references to the fact that when we talk about the rock, we're talking about God himself. And in Deuteronomy, I think it's 32, verse 4, the Scripture says, He is a rock. God is the rock. 
and we take that truth and we apply it into the New Testament and the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that the rock that followed them was Christ and so this is dealing with Israel and so we understand also in John, uh, Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus uh, says to Peter, who am I? And he says, you're the Christ and he says, upon this rock, the rock's not uh, Peter, the rock is Christ. Upon this rock, this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, I will build my church. And so we have that God is the rock and in that we have a further revelation that Christ is the rock. And so when we talk about the rock, we're talking about God himself. Uh, and so here it is, when, when God puts Moses on the rock, uh, he's, again it's symbolic uh, of himself, but also he makes a reference to the cleft of the rock. Now, a cleft is a crevice in a rock formation. And so whether it's, I mean, it does depending on size, but let's picture a huge uh, uh, rock and in the middle of that rock there's a, a crevice that you can, actually, you can step into. And, and so God is the cleft of the rock, the crevice of the rock. So God says, stand upon this and I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. And then I'm going to pass, when I put my hand over you and I'm going to pass by you and as I'm passing by, I'll take my hand away and you can see my back. But my face shall not be seen because no man can see my face and live. And so the cleft of the rock speaks of our relationship Christ as Christians. You see, this is what we talked about at the beginning. I said, keep in mind this thought of being in Christ. Because the, if you understand, if any, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When we are born again, we are baptized in Romans 6, baptized into Christ. And so we are put into, in so to speak, the cleft of the rock. The rock is Christ. And if we're going to experience and see glory of God, then we are in, in Christ, amen, that's where we experience uh, uh, the, the glory of God to the degree, amen, that we do. Anything that we experience of God's glory and his goodness uh, is a result of us being in Christ because in the cleft of the rock when we become Christians, that's where we are positioned, in Christ. You know, we have the, 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 in the New Testament, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and so we have this union that is in there, but we are placed into Christ now. We're no longer in Adam, but we are in the second Adam, in Christ Jesus. And so in light of that, can we not request as Moses did and say, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Like I said, this is the deepest and noblest desire of men but you see as I mentioned before this is the self and I'll read it again I read this in the first time I ministered on this topic but I want to read from John again in verse 17 verse 20 so we can again identify it Jesus says I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word and that extends to you and I that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, 
and that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me and where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see, the glory and the oneness that Jesus is talking about is the result of us being in him. And so when we look at Moses' experience and when God says, makes a request, show me your glory, he says, okay, I'm going to put you on the rock and then I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. And we talk about Christ being the foundation, but we are in Christ. In a literal sense, there's a union that we have with God in spirit. This is what we talk about born again. We've gone through all these things. And as a result of that, we are positioned in the cleft of the rock. And it's in that place that we observe and we see the glory of God in the new covenant. We looked at this again in 2 Corinthians 3, the glory that excels from glory to glory. The new covenant supersedes in glory than that which is related to the old. And so we have this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says these words, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, in Christ Jesus, there we become partakers of the divine nature and we have God reveals and in so we are, we are being exposed and beholding the glory of God. But what's interesting, again, getting back to this issue of the limitation, of, uh, of uh, Second Corinthians verse 6, Paul vessels. We have this treasure, the deposit of God's glory. The light of God is deposited into this earthen vessel. And the treasure that we have, the glory of God that is in us and us being in Christ, having been seated with him in heavenly places, having been raised with Christ and partakers of his resurrection, the spiritual language, we're physically sitting here. And yet because the physical is an earthen vessel, it's a tent, it cannot inherit the incorruptible. It will one day be put off. But, amen, that's why death for the Christian is not a, a, I mean, it's sad in the sense of losing someone, absolutely so. There is a human sorrow and element that is associated, but there is a duality because that person has entered into glory. That's why we use that expression when someone, when the Christian dies, I've heard them say, uh, that brother, uh, you know, they entered into glory. They did. They entered into what is the deepest desire and longing of us who love God now. They got to experience it before me. Because you know what? Death, where is your sting? There's nothing. Amen. For us, death is a stepping stone from glory to glory. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. <coughs> So we can ask as well in our pilgrimage as Moses did, Lord, show me your glory. Paul the Apostle, no doubt, 
This was the constant desire of his heart, wasn't it? He's a man and had revelation. He, I mean, he saw the glory of God and as he was knocked off his high horse that day on the road to Damascus and he was absolutely humbled before the Lord and yet the, the, he talks about in uh, Galatians how he, he didn't receive this from men. He, was, he wasn't taught it from men but he came to him as a revelation from God himself. God manifested his glory to Paul the Apostle. That's why he was able to so eloquently write about it. And so he was seeing God as he was. But you know, Paul's desire, uh, even in Philippians, he says that I may know him. And uh, more, in the, in the sense of more, there's more. And Paul says, uh, I can't wait to, to put off this tent because to die is gain. And to be absent from my body is to be present with the Lord. He understood there was a limitation in being in this body and that when it was put off, he was going to enter into something far more glorious. And so when we, when we reflect upon these things and when we say, Lord, show me. You know, the day I'm about to depart from this tent, today I'm saying, Lord, I'm going to see your glory in a much more greater way because I've already seen him, amen, in Christ. I already know him. I'm already in the cleft of the rock. His grace and his goodness is already passed before me in so many wonderful ways but I'm gonna, it gets better and it gets better. That's the point. But let's get back to Moses. See, in the cleft of the rock, Moses dwells in the presence of God Enjoys the goodness of God. God says, I'll cause all my goodness to pass before you. And in the cleft of the rock, Moses experiences the protection of God. He's safe. And more than that, he is protected against the judgment of God because the wrath of God uh, is, is it's in Christ, amen, that we pass from death, the scripture says, into life. We pass from judgment to life. And so in Christ Jesus, when we are in him, when we are in the, cl- in the cleft as Moses was, we experience uh, his grace, we experience his goodness, we experience his presence, we experience a, uh, his, uh, the security, we experience the fact that we are no one, we are, you know, we, uh, there is no now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our position in Christ. You know, another thing to note that God says to Moses here in Exodus 33, and he says, um, I will cause all of my goodness to pass by you. But God says to him in verse 21, or 22, <coughs> sorry, 23, he says, then I will take away my hand. So God says, I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And then he says, uh, and then I'll remove my hand and you shall see my back. You'll, you'll get a glimpse of my glory. And so, any, in a sense, again, we can make it, draw a parallel here and a type because of the covering, the hand being a, a covering. Because, you know, uh, if the presence of God had its fullness and there was no Moses would have been fried. We face and 
And so here we have God making provision for us in the atonement. Amen. We have a covering. And so, you know why we can, we can be in the cleft, that we can stand in Christ? Not because of our own righteousness. We would all be zapped in an instant, wouldn't we? And consumed. But in Christ, we have been made holy. We have been declared righteous. In him, amen, we are accepted in the beloved. We have been sealed with the Spirit. We are secure, amen. Because we're in the cleft of the rock. God has made provision and atonement and, uh, and has made a covering for our sin and now in Christ Jesus we can stand safe and secure. We are in the cleft. And that's why God's, uh, Jesus says, no one can take them from my hand. Because in Christ, if we will walk in, in obedience and we will walk in the fear of the Lord, we will serve him, amen, we can be in that place of safety and security. One other thing that I want to just touch note on is um, this, this. We talked about the cleft of the rock here. But you see, back in chapter 17 of the book of Exodus, there is also uh, that which relates to the rock. And scholars believe this is the same rock. <coughs> but uh, whether it is or isn't um, really doesn't make too much significance, I don't think. Although you can make some, you know, you can take some liberty if it was, but we won't go there. But nevertheless, the fact remains is because this, the typology teaches us something about Christ. And you know the story there where the children of Israel have come out of Egypt and they're thirsty and they're saying, give us water to drink lest we're dying. And, and then the God says to, um, to Moses to strike the rock. Strike the rock and water flowed from the rock. And there's another picture of Christ. Because Christ is the rock. And the rock was struck and Christ was crucified. And, in, and so here we have a picture of Christ right there when God says to Moses, strike the rock and water will flow. And we know this, the scripture that Christ being the rock and he was smitten for our transgressions and, uh, and he was bruised for our iniquities and he was struck and he was stricken by God and, uh, in made him, and he was made an offering for his sin. But what happened after that? God poured out his Holy Spirit. And Jesus made reference to this in John 7, verse 37, in that whole uh, chapter there. And it says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Amen. They all drank from the same spiritual rock and that rock was Christ. And here it is. Uh, 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 it, Jesus is talking about a riv the rivers of living water that will flow from within us uh, if we believe in him. Now verse 39, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. He's speaking about a future. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was not yet smitten. He had not yet gone to the cross. So, in light of that, until he was struck, the water could not and in the, in the rock, and so God says to Moses, strike the rock, the rock is struck and the water flows and the children of Israel drink. 
In the same way, amen, we as Christians, Christ is smitten by God, he's struck and then the water of the Holy Spirit is being poured out into our hearts and we, uh, we drink, amen, we can, he, we can freely drink from the water of life, the Bible says. Actually, it says he who desires freely comes. See, it's got to be a desire. Please, Lord, show me your glory. God, please fill me. It's got to be your desire because if you draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How much of the glory of God can you experience in this life? I don't know, but I tell you what, let your heart long for more. Let your heart desire more. And as you read the word and seek God in prayer, I tell you now, God will open your eyes to the scriptures and you'll see things you hadn't seen before because God will make himself known to the one who's drawing near to him. You see, we're in that cliff, church. <coughs> and I just want us to understand our position in Christ. And Moses prayed, and it can be our prayer and should be our prayer. Lord, show me your glory. We used to sing a song, and I've never heard it here. It's called, show me your glory. Let your presence pass by me. I want to be a child who knows you intimately. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Let your presence pass by me. And really, I want to be a child that knows you intimately. That reflects the, the disposition of Moses. Please, sincerely and humbly, show me your glory. We're not making outrageous demands. You know, <laughs> show me now or else. Ah, God's not interested in that business. Just say, see you later. You're not even getting a glimpse. Actually, you'll get some glory, but it's going to zap you. <laughs> because God doesn't respond to those things where we put, you know, uh, um, you know limitations and um, caveats and in, that, in that manner. It has to be born out of a sincere heart. And I just want to close with a couple of things. First, a scripture in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the, on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we, or then you, will also appear with him in glory. So it's, it's all glorious, isn't it? It's also glorious. And that's what makes it all so exciting. There's a, there's a story that I, as I was studying this, I, I found a bit of a story. We've, we've sang, we sing a couple of songs here in the church, but there's the um, song that we sometimes sing. Yeah. But it was, uh, this, there's a story behind it because the, there's an old Englishman back in 1776 who was walking in England and he was going through a valley um, there and it began to rain torrentially um, in that area and apparently when it does so it can be uh, quite a long time and so he was caught in it and so uh, to escape it he was, there, he was against the rock face and he went and there was a cleft in the rock so he went into the cleft of the rock and being stuck in that place unable to go from there for some, some period of time he just began to reflect like James sitting in his office maybe, 
and just began to ponder the, the glory of God. And, and then he began to think about the scripture where it talks about um, Moses being in the cleft of the rock. And then he began to realize that as he was surrounded by himself in that cleft and God no doubt ministered to him and said, this is you, my child, you know. And, and, uh, and so as he began to fellowship with God and worship God, out of that whole experience he penned one of the, one of the great hymns that we, call, that we know as the Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And in the midst of this life and the buffetings of this life and just everything, thank God that we can take refuge. Thank God that we can hide ourselves in the Lord, that we can retreat, amen, and just come and escape these things and just dwell in God's presence, in the presence of God, in the of God and in the security of God. He, and then there's that other hymn, which is the one I actually want to sing, He Hideth My Soul in the cleft of the rock. So I'm going to ask the musicians if you could come. And I want us just to stand and I just want us to sing and reflect upon this reality this morning as we're singing to God, pray, meditate, praise, whatever, amen. But let's, let's just make it our prayer. Lord, show me your glory and understand that we are in the cleft of the rock. We are in Christ. Glory to God. As they find their place, I'll just pray. Lord, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. God, let it uh, dwell, let it sink deep into our hearts, Lord, and our minds. Let us reflect upon your goodness and your grace, the glory that we are partakers of, even now and that which is to come, God. It is all so glorious, Lord. We're so thankful. We're so filled with joy. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We just want to sing this, Lord, to worship and praise your wonderful name.
Amen. Be excited. Praise the Lord. It's all right, mate. We can rejoice. We can shout. We can sing. And uh, this will be a reflection of the fact that we are rejoicing in the Lord always. Glory to God. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. God bless you. Amen.